Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Crime, a true crime podcast. If you're new here, hi, hello, how you doing? My name is Lisa Marie, and each week I sit down with a cup of coffee and I tell you all a true crime story. So if you listened into last week, I really hope you did enjoy the episode. I know it was quite long, but we are probably going to run a bit longer today as well. But it was so much fun meeting Erica and Rachel from Story Crime Podcast. If you haven't listened to them yet or you're not following them on Instagram, I don't know what you're doing. Get on board because they are phenomenal. But I am really proud of the episode and the amount of work that went into it and recording with them. It was something a bit different, so I hope you guys like that as well. I hope you guys liked it. Also, we have hit 1,000 followers on Instagram. Whoop, whoop. And as promised, a giveaway is in the works. So you do have to be following on Instagram to see the post about it and follow the instructions to get some entries into the giveaway. And there are going to be three names drawn. So the first drawn winner will get a Coffee and Crime coffee cup, some stickers, magnets, some little goodies like that but you'll also get either a t-shirt or a hoodie and that will be up to you and you'll also get first dibs at a case recommendation. The second drawn will get a coffee cup, stickers and magnets and second dibs at a case recommendation and the third drawn will get stickers, magnets and third dibs case recommendation. So lots of goodies to be handed out. You just have to follow at coffee and crime podcast for one entry And if you already follow, then do the next couple of things and you'll get that one entry as well. Uh, You also have to like and comment on the giveaway post with either your favorite episode from Coffee and Crime, your favorite moment for an episode or tag friends, whatever it may be. But you get two entries per comment. Uh, If you share the giveaway post and tag at Coffee and Crime podcast, you get three entries. And if you can show me that you've left a rating and a review on any platform you're listening in on, either by a DM of uh, you know send me a screenshot of the rating and review you get five entries into the giveaway so there is plenty ways to get in the draw and win yourself some goodies so the giveaway will run from monday the 27th of march until the 21st of may so that is a fair few weeks but that coincides with coffee and crimes one year podiversary and on the anniversary we'll you know we'll do the draw we'll pick names out and we'll get everything sorted so it's all very exciting it's all very happening but if you aren't on instagram but would love to get into the draw for this giveaway you still can if you're listening on spotify below the episode is a q a box if you leave the comment giveaway in this episode and the upcoming episodes to the giveaway then you'll get two entries per comment so that way then you can get on board if you aren't on instagram but if you are get on board all right i've said get on board too many times so anyway let's get into this week we are stepping away from the deadly daughter series uh thank you all so much for the feedback and love on that mini series but we are doing a complete 180 this week and i'm bringing a survivor story to the table finally we're going to have a story that has a happy and powerful ending this story completely blows my mind and i couldn't tell this story just out loud recording by myself with no one to hear it. So I have brought on a returning guest to the uh, to the podcast with me this week. So lovely listeners of Coffee and Crime, please welcome my lovely sister, Grace. Hi, Grace. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I feel famous. <laughs> yeah. How are you going? 
I bring you back a returning a guest. A returning guest. <laughs> I feel like I should test out your lovely product. You're only getting the highest quality stuff, so I feel like I should get gifted. Oh, gifted. Well, you know what? If we're going then that way, I, I am a returning guest. I don't see you sharing any of my posts or liking any of them. So let's just put that there. I don't. <laughs> it's because I am a returning guest. Oh, okay. Do you think Kylie Jenner likes <laughs> and reposts Jimmy Fallon or Ellen? Do they give her free stuff? <laughs> Ellen does. Oh, Ellen, not anymore because she's shut down. So, yes, lovely listeners, as you may have noticed, the audio might be a little bit funny because Grace and I are video recording this because she lives two hours away from me. So I do apologize if any audio gets funny, but I'll try and edit all that kind of stuff out. Um, But, Grace, I want to start us off. I've got a little party trick that I want to share with you. Erica and Rachel, who I recorded with last week, they're from Canada. And we were talking about place names and I told them that I was going to tell them the longest place name that's in New Zealand. Do you know what it is? I can't pronounce it, but I know what it (laughs) is. You know what it is? Well, I know how to say it. And I, because I I said on the episode that I was going to tell them at the end and we we completely, yeah, we completely forgot about it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to plug it in now and I'm going to say it for you. All right, are you ready? All right, here is how you say the yes. longest place name in New Zealand. Tau matafakatangi hangike o o otamatia turi pukaka piki manga horonuku puka fenuakitane te hau. I thought it was way longer than that. Dang. Well, I, I have to say it really quickly. For otherwise, some reason, I, I thought. I was like, I have to get to it. <laughs> I thought you weren't actually going to say it. I thought it was going to be a pun so you're like yeah i can say the longest place name and then you were just going to come up with something real random no because that's how it was like building up to me oh well i'm i'm (laughs) sorry that i said it right no i did so it's a place in the no you proved me wrong it's a place that's in the hawks bay thank you thank you um and it's on the east coast of the north island and it's a sentence but put into one word and it means hence the name indicating the hill on which Tamatia, the chief of great physical stature and renown played a lament on his flute to the memory of his brother and that's all in that one word I love the multi-culture I love it so- I'm going to say it again because I love it so <clears throat> longest place name Tau mata whakatangi hangi ke auau o tamatia turi pukaka piki maunga hora nuku poka whena wakitane te hau. I love it. I'm like... <laughs> Go you. Thanks, thanks. So, yes, you are a returning guest, Grace. Uh, you joined me on the episode about Issei Sagawa, the Japanese cannibal. And that was episode 22. And this is now episode 43. So maybe every 20th episode, <laughs> I'll bring you in. <laughs> you should have done like, you know. Last week, I know. Edit 44, I know. make it even. Oh, I know. It's painful, isn't it? Um, 
But yeah, and if you didn't know, Issei died in, was it November last year that I messaged you that? He um, popped, he popped, oh, kicked the bucket. I was like, yeah, I was like pop, popped the bucket? No, he kicked the bucket. And I brought you on this week to do a survivor's story. So it's not going to be like the last time you were on. There will be some traumatizing details, don't get me wrong. And this is a deep dive of this case. I didn't want to leave a single stone unturned and I'm really like fizzing for the story. Like I've been talking to you about this all week. I'm just like, I can't wait for us to record. You have, you have been <laughs> you have been hyping this up. Wow. Honestly. Like fully. After this episode, Grace, you'll I honestly believe that you'll feel like you can go on to do anything. Like it's that powerful of a story. I'm I'm obsessed with this. I'm obsessed with it. So, lovely listeners, you'll know who I'm talking about because you've clicked the episode title, so at least you'll have the name. But Grace, I don't think you'll know anything about this. You've given me nothing about this episode. No, but I'm going to tell you the name and I want to see if um, it rings any bells. Yeah. Right? So, today we are talking about the unbelievable, super scary, super terrifying, but survivor case... Of Alison Botha. Does that name ring any bells? And it's not ringing like, oh yeah, that's this person, sort of thing. No, no. Wow, you are in for a doozy. So, lovely listeners of Coffee and Crime, grab your cup of coffee or whatever caffeinated beverage you need to get through your day and join myself and my sister Grace as I bring you the incredible story of Alison Botha. Let's get into it. Warning, the following episode contains adult language, discussion on arson, kidnapping, domestic and child abuse, suicide ideation, rape and attempted murder that listeners may find disturbing. This podcast is recommended for listeners 16 years and above. Listener discretion is advised. Alison Botha was born on the 22nd of September 1967 in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Her parents were Brian and Claire Collier. So Collier is her mum's maiden name and Botha is actually a name she gets later on, but it's like how she's known. She's known as Alison Botha, but we'll get around to that. And Alison also has an older brother called Neil. Now, Port Elizabeth in South Africa had a name change in 2021 so it's not actually called Port Elizabeth anymore it's called and I'm gonna say this so wrong but it's Berha like you have to click in the name it's Berha oh there there I did it Berha (laughs) it's probably still so wrong I know (laughs) what a fun name right It's a major seaport and it's the most populous city in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. And its nickname is the Windy City, just like Wellington, where we are. Well, where I am. Um, So the name changed to Burha in 2021, but it is still referred to as Port Elizabeth. It lies on the coast. I've heard of Port Elizabeth before. Well, it is. Yeah, it's the most populous city. So it's probably been in things. I don't know. Um, but it lies on the coast of the Indian Ocean. It has gorgeous beaches, and like that's what it's really known for, all of its beaches. 
It has Ado Elephant National Park and Krager Kammer Game Park, where you can see right rhinos, buffaloes, cheetahs, giraffes, zebras, all these other animals just roaming around freely. Like, I would love to go to South Africa, but it's it's one of those places where I'd love to go to, but I'm so terrified <laughs> to go <laughs> because, yeah, like... I've worked. I, feel that. I mean, we know people from South Africa. I've worked with people from South Africa, and you hear the stories of how dangerous it is, but yeah. not because of the animals, but the people. Yeah. <laughs> and I really want to yeah. go, but. Oh. And I mean, this story doesn't help, but yeah. And okay. I mean, poor Elizabeth sounds gorgeous. Gorgeous. So yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Alison. So Brian and Claire, her parents, they divorced when she was about nine or ten years old, and Alison stayed with her mother and brother Neil in Port Elizabeth or Burha, <laughs> while her dad moved eleven hours away to Johannesburg. Now, not sure why they divorced, but regardless, the family stayed very close, and it sounded like there was no animosity between her parents at all. Um, Alison loved her family deeply. Yeah, good co-parenting. Uh, Alison loved her family deeply. She loved her friends deeply. At school, she was very smart and was well-liked and was even elected as head girl at the Collegiate School for Girls. Now, I was just searching the school fancy. up. Yeah, yeah. That's literally my next line. Like, when I tell you this school is fancy, it's fancy. <laughs> like, it's an independent boarding school. And I did, like, the virtual tour online. <laughs> I did the virtual tour online just to see what it looks like and it's it's lovely, it's clean, it's polished, it's you can tell it's full of history, like it's been around for years. But there was something that I didn't know in that there is actually a difference between a collegiate school and a normal high school. And a collegiate school focuses more on the arts and like classical studies, whereas a high school will teach okay. vocational more sciencey stuff so even though yes at high school like we had the choice of doing classical studies it's not pushed on it's not um yeah yeah like mandatory like it would be at a collegiate school uh but however the reviews yeah. of the collegiate school for girls weren't overly that flash a lot of them talked about that there was still this like economic segregation between the students snobbiness teachers were still being racist uh, which obviously is a huge deal, especially in South Africa with their history. Um, the boarding situation is quite toxic, which you do hear about at a lot of boarding schools. Um, so it doesn't sound great. Well, I mean, working at a boarding school myself in the past, it's, it's definitely like that. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I mean, you've got all these teenagers going through puberty and all the hormones in one place. And you're like, let's coop them up together for a term. <laughs> So yeah, so it's a very expensive school, but the academic and sporting achievements that come out of that school is what puts it on the map, you know, so yeah, who knows? So yes, but Alison was the head girl in her final year, and after finishing school, she didn't know what career she wanted to pursue. Her teachers, educators, and peers thought she should go on to be a doctor, a lawyer, politician, like, you know, those high-paying jobs, no, not really high, oh yeah, high-paying jobs, I suppose, like, because she was responsible yeah. reliable um smart caring she always put others before herself um and i know that especially in true crime cases where we as the podcasters we speak about the victims like we're telling the listeners like how amazing people they are because it, they are right and we take the testimonies of those that knew them 
and you get the reoccurring statements like, oh, they lit up every room they walked into and everyone smiled when they saw them and those type of statements. But Alison was, and to this day, one of these people who lit up every room and she made everyone smile. She was always inspiring, incredibly caring and a very strong woman. And this story will back that statement up. But yes, she didn't know what to do. So her mother, Claire, encouraged her to take a secretarial course just to have some more skills under the belt. And this was about mid to late 1980s at this point. So computers were rare, but they were starting to come in and the technology was new. So being able to work on a computer, understanding administrative roles, it would prove useful and obviously look good on any job application when she decided what she wanted to do. So she did this course, she used it as a fallback, but... Yeah, it was more or less just to get some skills. So instead of finding a job after that, she did what you do if you don't go and study your work after school. You go traveling. And she went traveling. And she spent three years abroad in England. (laughs) Where are you going, Grace? That's why you wanted to do this with me. No, 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 no. Nothing bad happens in England, I promise. Nothing bad. (laughs) Because where are you going in May, Grace? Oh, yeah. England. And what, wait, did you, nothing bad happens in England. In her story. Oh, it was about, well, this lake where someone was killed and you did a podcast on that. (laughs) Nothing bad in her story happens in England, Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> so good. she went traveling she spent three and a half four years abroad in london and the uk traveling around before returning to port elizabeth where she became an insurance broker for a travel agency and an insurance broker is someone who will work with a client whether an individual or a business and facilitate the purpose of appropriate insurance just a helpful person making sure you're getting the right insurance for the right price so that secretarial course came in her being a good person came into it. It wasn't going to be her forever job, but she loved it. She had a great team. She she enjoyed her work, right? So she's back in South Africa. She's living her life as a young, professional, single woman, but she's living her best life. She's really close with her family, especially her mum. She had good friends that she would go and hang out with them all the time. They'd go to the beach, the pubs, they'd have game nights. She just had a very good but normal life. Like her life was so exceptionally ordinary, you know? This would all change on December 18th, 1994. December 17th, the day before, was more or less like any other Saturday. Alison spent the afternoon on the beach. And since it's the summertime in South Africa in December, just like it is in New Zealand. And it's quite funny, I was listening to a few podcasts about this case and they would say, like, can you imagine summer in December? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I can. Because <laughs> it's normal. You kind of forget other places are in winter in December. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I just thought that was quite funny. But, yeah, so it was a summer, summer day in December in South Africa. And she spent the day at the beach with her friend Kim and Kim's kids. Then some other friends turned up and they had a, quote, wonderfully spontaneous evening, end quote. They sat on Kim's balcony, they had some drinks, they were just hanging out, and they all decided to go back to Allison's flat, order some pizza, get a bottle of wine, and play a game of Boulder Dash. And this sounds like such a fun game. So Boulder Dash is when a person will ask a question, 
and everyone has to write down like made up but believable answers and you have to see who's bluffing and like yell boulder dash (laughs) so you could write like the actual answer to it yeah and you just have to find out like who's bluffing and call them out on it it sounds like a lot of fun i I think we should um but like that like this could have been your evening you know like this could have been a night with you and your mates or me with mine yeah it was so normal yeah right so kim she had asked allison for a ride home after their game night you know they were at kim's she's got the kids she's like yep i'll come over as long as you can drive me back home allison's like sweet bet no stress can i do washing at your house (laughs) so (laughs) allison had done a load of laundry at kim's (laughs) house and kim's like yo you'll drive me home bet you can do your do your delicates get them in the tub you can give them a wash easy so Alison was going to give Kim a ride home and pick up her now clean washing. <laughs> it was a win-win situation. Uh, so around midnight, 12.30, so now we're into December 18th because it's after midnight, uh, Alison drove Kim home, picked up her clean washing and returned back to her apartment complex and it was now about 1am on December 18th. Now Alison's usual car park had been taken, which was really annoying and can relate but parking was usually a problem yeah super ratchet but parking was usually a problem because everyone wants to be as close to the door as possible which makes sense but it was very frustrating for her it's just not cool Uh, however she did manage to get a park about 10 meters from her front door which is only like 20 steps it's it wasn't that far but it wasn't her parking space, you know what I mean? So she's a bit frustrated. Uh, the lighting, the street yeah. lighting was poor. She also had to park under this, like, old big tree. So there was going to be, like, leaves and bird shit and stuff on her car the next morning. Just less than ideal. But, yep, yeah, it was the closest park. It was 1am. She just wanted to get inside, have a shower, go to bed, and round off the perfect day. However, this night would become the worst night of Alison's life. As soon as Alison turned off the car and flicked the headlights off, she reached across to get her fresh washing from the passenger seat when she felt a gush of warm summer air come over her as her driver's seat door was pulled open and a knife was held to her throat. It was a thin, long knife like a letter opener, but still, it was a sharp, pointy thing that was being held to her neck. Alison turned and saw that the person... Yeah, girl, we haven't even started. <laughs> right? It's so scary. This story is so scary. So Alison turned and saw that the person holding the knife was a scrawny, tall, blonde dude, and he spoke in a very quiet and very controlled voice, and he said, Move over or I'll kill you. So Alison, she did as she was told. She bundled up the washing onto her lap and held it close to her as this guy got in the car and started to drive. But he didn't know how to figure out her headlights. He didn't know she how to... She wanted it to keep clean. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably keep clean. She it on the floor. She just cleaned it. So, yeah, so the guy started to drive, but he couldn't figure out how to put on the headlights. So she naturally just reached over and flicked them on. And he said to her, oh, don't worry. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to use your car for an hour. So oh, okay. She, 
so she's thinking, Alison's thinking, all right, this is a carjacking, right? I'll, I'll do what he says, I'll keep him happy, keep him calm, and it'll be a story to laugh about later on with her friends, right? Carjackings in South Africa, yeah, I know. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, you're going to laugh about this? Okay. But carjackings in South Africa are really common. In fact, according to a 2021-2022 report, it's recorded that a car is estimated to be stolen every 22 minutes in South Africa. <laughs> like, it's a very, very common occurrence. And that was last year's report, whereas, you know, we've got automated locks and better, like, car security measures. Yeah. This happened in 1994, and Allison's car was a Renault 5. Like, I'm going to show you a picture of it. Like, it's it's not a flash car at all. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a cheap little run around, two yeah. doors. It's nothing flash. So... She's in the car with this dude. He's just said, I'm just going to use your car for an hour. She's like, all right, bet. I'll sit here with my washing. This will all be over, right? But the next thing he says chills Alison to the bone. He said to her, you live in number one, don't you? So she knew that he had been watching her. Like, he knew which... Because she lived in an apartment complex with other apartments, other numbers... And he knew that she lived in number one. She didn't know how long he had been watching her. He didn't. She didn't know what he knew about her. Yeah, it's so unsettling. Like she realized that she had been violated without knowing it, which is so scary. The driver then asked what her name was, and she was taken aback by this because it was as if a taxi driver was making idle chit chat with a passenger not a kidnapper taking someone hostage because that's essentially what he's done at this point. Right? So Alison told yeah. him, Alison told him that her name was Susan. Obviously, we know it's not, but she didn't want this guy knowing smart. anything more, smart. very smart, and she didn't want him knowing anything more about her, and if she could keep something to herself, she obviously doesn't know how this night's going to go, but at least she could keep her name to herself. And I've said this in a few episodes. I believe names are so powerful. You know, whether it's the name you're given at birth or the name you've chosen for yourself, whatever yeah. your situation is, it is yours and no one can take that from you. You know, all of your yeah. earthly possessions 100%. may be stolen, but you will always have your name. So it's very smart yeah. that she didn't give that over. Not very smart. The man then introduced himself as Clinton, but we will come to find out that he is also not giving out real information. But Alison doesn't know this, obviously, at the time. <laughs> Mind games. <laughs> Alison. Lying to each other. So Alison tried to keep the chit chat going to keep him calm, but also to find some more information out yeah. about him so that she can report him to the police later on. Yeah, so he said that he wasn't going to answer any of her questions, but. Um, she was going to answer his and he asked her if she lived alone now Alison again with yep. the smart thinking she said no I, I live with my boyfriend and he's expecting me home right and especially now that it was after 1am he's going to be like where is she and she told Clinton like just keep the car bro just drop me off like it's a shitty car keep it good woman yeah and yeah. like please just, just let me out yeah. it's a shitty car take it but Clinton was like, no, I'd rather have company. Um, he told her that he has to go and find a friend of his who stole his TV and owes him money. 
So now Alison realizes that there's an increase in the likelihood of violence to happen tonight. Because if you're trying to find someone who owes you money, who stole from you, shit's about to go down. Alright? So Alison, she's trying her best to keep calm. She's using the familiar smell of her washing to keep herself grounded. She's also looking out the window to keep herself geographically aware because Clinton was turning down all sorts of streets, just going here, there and everywhere. And she just wanted to know where she was because if she got dropped off somewhere, she wanted to know how to get back home or where was the next safest place for her to call for a ride. So he drove down Pearson Street, which was really familiar to her. However, there was no one about because it was more of like a business street like there were stores and you know big companies more of a daytime street rather than a nighttime one but as they were driving down the street Allison could see coming in the other direction a police van now Allison thought about jumping out the car or causing some sort of chaos to get the police's attention like tooting the horn or grabbing the wheel but she was frozen like she was just terrified by the time she thought she could actually do something, the police van had passed and turned a corner. So next, they were driving down Main Street. So it is so frustrating. So next, they were driving down Main Street, and this street was still busy with people. You know, it's like 1am on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night out. The bars and clubs were still open. There was taxis around. The street was busy. And again... She thought about trying to signal for help or cause a scene. But she realized that the people who were still out drinking and partying at this time were probably more in her kidnapper's lane than hers. Probably a few troublemakers out there, drunken patrons being kicked out of venues. So she didn't know if she was actually safer inside the car or outside. I mean, yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty, and she probably would have been safer on the outside, but we'll get around to that. So, because yeah, they're sober bar staff. But yeah, wow. So Clinton had slowed the car right down and he was looking amongst the sea of people, clearly looking for someone, and he kept like swearing under his breath, saying, like, where the fuck is he? And oh, what the fuck? And who's, you know, he kept swearing so she could see he was getting quite agitated. As they got to the end of Main Street and the crowds had thinned out, Clinton was clearly annoyed and he jerked the car around and he came back down Main Street, but obviously on the other side of the road. Again, they drove the length of the street and Clinton didn't locate this friend of his. Once again, he jerked the car around, but he did so, so erratically that the car nearly came up on two wheels because it's an old little car and he's like swinging it around. (laughs) So for the third time, they're driving down Main Street when Clinton, the driver, finally found whom he was looking for and pulled the car over. So Alison saw a short, sturdy, young-looking guy walk towards the driver's side door and he had to climb in behind the driver's seat, like he had to pull it forward because it's only a two-door car. Um... And he got into the back and Clinton asked his buddy, the new passenger, for a smoke. And Alison actually asked for one too, which I'm not surprised, to be honest. (laughs) Love it. The new passenger, the new addition to the car, he didn't say a word, but he handed them both a smoke and Clinton started driving again. Clinton turned to his buddy and said, this is my friend Susan. Susan, this is my friend the ends. 
So out of habit, and just to keep everyone happy, Alison said hello. She's thinking, bro, I'm not your friend. Like, <laughs> Don't call me that. We are acquaintances. But as she looked at the ends, and this is his real name, she noted that his eyes were dark and dead and black with evil. So the two men started talking to each other in the car and Alison couldn't follow the conversation. They So she, she knew English, obviously. She'd learned it at school. She lived abroad for three years. She knew English and she did, know, uh, she did know Afrikaans, but they were interchanging between the two languages. So she's trying to translate and keep up, but she's also terrified and confused. She's tired. She's had a couple of drinks with her friends. She just wants to go home, have a shower and be done with it. So she didn't really know what they were talking about, but she did hear them talk about a place called, and again, I'm going to say this so wrong, um, Uverbork. Okay. I've got to like think South African accent, like Afrikaans, Uverborkens. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally spelled like Overbarkens, but it's like Uverborkens. Solid attempt. Thanks. So she heard them talk about Uverborkens, and this is where her... It was like obviously a suburb or something, and it's where her mother lived. So she was hoping that whatever they were doing, it would be in Uber Balkans, and that they would drop her off and she could just go to her mum's house. Like, how perfect. She could just go to her mum's house. But Clinton didn't take the turn to Uber Balkans, and instead he carried down a long, empty highway going away from the lights of the city towards the long stretches of beaches and picnic spots. They passed a few holiday inns and resorts, but other than that, it was pitch black, mostly wilderness, with a few, like, car park entries to, like, the beachfront. Alison wanted to ask the men what their plan was. She wanted to prepare, she wanted to be prepared for anything they had in mind, but thought it was best just to keep her mouth shut. And she said as the lights of the city faded, so did her hope that she was going to come out of this alive. After what seemed forever, Clinton pulled into a clearing in the bush that had a canopy of trees that was scraping along the car. The road was a lot more sandy, so it was probably more suitable for like a four-wheel drive rather than her little Renault 5. And as one would expect, the car started to sink into the sand as they got closer to the beach and it became stuck. The ends was starting to become very angry. He was like swearing in Afrikaans and Alison started praying for her car, which she called Reginald, which I think is so cute. <laughs> uh, she was, that is adorable. I know, right? She was praying that Reginald would gain traction and keep going. She didn't want her captors to be angry. Obviously this is not her fault. This is because Clinton, the dumb fuck is trying to drive on sand, but you know, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to get really off on this. Yeah. Like, I'm going to... Anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's just trying to prepare herself for every possible bad scenario. So she's running through them in the head. And she got the idea yeah. that they were going to use her body under the wheel to try and get the car out. Like, that's how... <laughs> like, I know, I know. It's so, like, oh, baby, you're so... But, like, that's what her mind is doing at this point, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah. I mean, my mind would probably go there. <laughs> I'd probably be like, oh, my gosh, 
they're just gonna kill me off early and just put me under the car and drive keep using my body as like a road exactly that's that's exactly what she was thinking now thankfully the tires did find their grip and reginald got out of the sand yes reginald (laughs) and yes reginald (laughs) and clinton drove a little further on until they came into a clearing This clearing was filled with broken bottles, rusted cans, empty wine cartons. Like it was more or less a typical hangout for teenagers who were drinking underage and maybe a lover's lane type of place to get some privacy. It was well hidden from the road and very likely, very unlikely of anyone stumbling across them. Once Clinton stopped, he asked Alison to turn the headlights off because he still didn't know how to do it because he's a dumbass. And... When, oh, so, an idiot. I know. How do you not know how to work a fucking car? Anyway, I, I hate these guys, Grace. I hate them so much. Like, I... Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not their biggest fan currently. You don't even know. But I don't know, know what they've done. You don't even so, know what exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So, Clinton pulled his seat forward to let TNs out of the car. And now it was just Allison and... Clinton in there and you know she's in there she'd made small talk with him earlier uh she was scared of him don't get me wrong but out of the two of them he was probably the lesser of two evils you know what I mean like because Tian's got in the car she said that his eyes were dark and black and evil whereas Clinton was like oh what's your name and we're just gonna use your car for an hour like he's not he, he's probably more evil, we'll come to find out, but in this moment, right? And yeah. I say this because yeah. Alison felt more comfortable to talk to Clinton now that Tien's was out, out of the car. And yeah. Alison said to Clinton, like, now what? You, you know, we're parked here, What what's the plan? And Clinton replied with genuine surprise in his voice, and he said, quote, I thought you would have realised we want sex, end quote. Yeah. Dirty pigs. <laughs> Men. So, yeah, no, she... Oh, yeah, so she wasn't expecting that at all. And she said that. She's like, no, I, I didn't realise that. And... Ugh. But she also thought, she's like, all right, I'm going to be raped. I am just going to get through this. I'm going to keep them happy. I'm, I'm, I can get... I'll get through it. Which is probably the best thing she could have done in that scenario you know just mentally yeah. try and protect herself by preparing herself now and mentally prepares yeah. yeah clinton asked if she was going to fight them and she actually took a moment and she thought about her situation she's in the middle of nowhere she could have run and if she ran could she outrun both of them she knew she couldn't fight them both off because they're two yeah. dudes and yeah, like I said, unfortunately, yeah. her best course of action was just to comply and get it over with. And accept it, yeah. So in the book... That's bo- just disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. So in the book, I Have Life, which will probably be the best book you'll ever read in your life. I highly recommend it. It's written by Marianne Tham, but it's Alison's story. Like, Alison just needed an author to yeah. write it, right? And in the book, Alison said, yeah. quote... If they wanted to rape me, I thought, then let them do it. I can handle it. End quote. Like, it, I'm just trying to tell you how strong this fucking yeah. woman is. Like, she's unreal. 
Um, so I know that I've already done the warning, lovely listeners, but I'm going to put another big trigger here because we are going to be talking about the rape a little bit. So if you can't hear things like that, skip ahead. You're going to have to skip ahead quite a bit because there are a few topics we are going to cover and it's all related to rape and sexual violence. So yeah, skip ahead, but I do ask that you join back in because there's so much more to the story and like, I, you have to hear it. You have to hear it. But if you don't want to hear about the rape, skip ahead now. So Alison took off her clothes and she was wearing quite a few layers. She was wearing a t-shirt and shorts, she had a bathing suit on and she had a bikini underneath that and I cannot imagine how taking each layer must have felt. Clinton then forced her to perform oral sex on him, warning that if she bit him he would kill her and as he was holding that thin knife to her head she fully believed him. After some time, he then yanked her head back down on the seat and then he went down on her and he was saying really uncomfortable things like, I bet your boyfriend doesn't do this to you and I bet you enjoyed this, like, do you like this and all this really gross, uncomfortable stuff. Then after going down on her, he came up, he started kissing her body and her breasts and then he started making out with her and told her that she has a nice tasting fanny. She was holding back vomit and I know it would have enraged him, but I really wish he'd thrown up in his mouth. <laughs> like, but then he continued to rape her. Now, during this, and Alison talks a lot about this, she said that her body did become aroused and she did have an orgasm. And, and like I said, she's spoken openly about this because she felt so betrayed by her body. Because in a normal sex scenario with consenting partners and you know however you want to do it an orgasm is a sign of pleasure it's a sign of good stuff right so (laughs) she's confused because she's not happy she's not enjoying herself so why on earth did she have an orgasm and I'm gonna tell you why I know it's not the most comfortable of conversations but the body is so fucking amazing and like I'm a 25 year old woman and I didn't know half of the shit okay it's just changed my whole perception on sex and I love it and I'm gonna share it with my little sister (laughs) she's 21 it's okay lovely listeners this is not this is not weird (laughs) not breaking any laws here uh, so, <laughs> so an orgasm is actually a defense mechanism of the body. It's a way that it protects and cleans the lower regions. And there are actually two different types of orgasms a woman can experience. One orgasm stimulates sexual pleasure and that's the clitoral orgasm. And that releases the happy hormones, right? The, the feel good, the whatnot. And the other one is a psychological defense mechanism, which is the vaginal orgasm. And that's the purpose of cleaning and pushing stuff out. Now, depending on the situation, like rape, there is no happy hormones to go with it. Whereas in a quote-unquote normal sexual experience, you may experience both orgasms, which is why you will have happy hormones, you will experience fluids exiting the body (laughs) because you're actually having both types. Whereas in Alison's case, she's actually only having 
a vaginal orgasm. That's why she's not feeling happy. That's why she's feeling betrayed. She's not enjoying it, but it's the body's natural response to the stimulation that's going on down there. It's it's what the body's meant to do. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's very common in rape victims and even in men who are rape victims that they experience an orgasm through their ordeal and they feel shamed about it. They feel like their experience is invalidated because of their yeah. body's response. It's also another reason why women won't report that they've been raped because they've had an orgasm. Like, it, because there's just... Like I said, I'm 25 years old. I didn't know this. I didn't know that there was two types. Like, what? No. Um, no. In some uh, cases that's, that have gone that's to... That's actually very interesting. It is, isn't it? I thought it was. Um, in some cases that yeah. have gone to court over rape, some judges have actually ruled against the victim saying that it wasn't rape because they've had an orgasm. But it's like, no, that's not the science. Obviously, we know, you know, this is all information now, but they need to be teaching this stuff because I didn't know about it. <laughs> this was not in sex ed at Sacred Heart College. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing was in sex ed at Sacred Heart Exactly. <laughs> but that's the body's response, and that's why Alison did have an orgasm. I kind of always thought when um, a rape victim had an orgasm, it was because of... No, they weren't enjoying it, but there was still that sensation of something. Yeah. You, yeah, no, there you know. is. There is. But there's that right. idea that you you are having an orgasm because your mind's in it, you're enjoying it, you're, yeah, you know. I, nah, see, I always thought it was because, you know, um, so I just always thought that's why someone had an orgasm. Well, yes, absolutely. She's still yeah. being um, simulated down there. That's the body's natural response to yeah. it. But she's she's not getting she's not getting the 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 good feeling from it because she's not in it and that's because of the different types of organ which i just i just thought that was very interesting yeah so once clinton was finished and he did finish in and on her which is really fucking rude uh he got out the car pulled up his pants and he walked over to his buddy Thiens, who was sitting on the bonnet of the car having a smoke, and he asked him do you also want to have oh. sex with this lovely lady? Oh. Like don't fucking that. talk about it like that. <clears throat> like she's not your lovely lady. No. Thiens then replied in Afrikaans because he didn't speak English very well and this is what it's been translated to. He replied with no, I just want to fuck the bitch. Oh. Yeah. Just a complete disregard oh. that she's a human that didn't ask for any of this. They're kind of... They're acting like she's a sex doll. Exactly. But then Clinton replied, don't speak about her like that. She's a lady. Yeah, a fucking lady who'd rather be in home in bed after having a great night oh, with her friends, really? not in the car, in the middle of the woods, being raped by you two fucking numbnuts. Like, what? Look, it's so odd. Ugh. Disgusting. What the actual fuck? He has some psychological issues. Well, I haven't even got to them. <laughs> we will. We will, don't you worry, but... Deans then went round to Alice. Also, Alison. poor Reginald. Her poor car. Yeah, poor, poor car. 
Theans then went round to Allison, and he was about to go down on her. And I don't know why this makes me laugh, and I think it's just because they're two dumb fucks, but he went to go down on her, and Clinton was like, bro, my, sp my spludge is down there. Like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> and again... I wish Clinton didn't say anything, and even though what the ends is doing is fucking terrible, but I wish that he had gone down at her because at least he would have got his fucking buddy's cum in his yeah. mouth, and he would have. Mm. Yeah, I I just hate I just hate these guys, and uh, the reason I'm I am going into detail about her rape and. Yeah, they are. And the reason I'm going into, you know, a, a bit of detail, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, and then and then she was raped, and then this happened. You know, they, they move on from that. But the reason I'm going into detail is because it happened to her. You know, like, she, after all yeah. is said and done, she goes and openly talks about this. And if she can, and she lived through it, then we can talk about it. You know what I mean? And I think it also shows her a lot of respect because this we is the life that she lived. Yeah. Absolutely. And, like, we haven't even yeah. got to it yet. Like, you have no idea. Oh. So. This poor woman. The ends didn't go down on her. And, thankfully, he couldn't rape her either because he couldn't get get it up. He couldn't get hard because he's a little dick man. Good. So. He should just have it cut off. Yeah. Obviously no useful purpose for it. Exactly. So he tried, but he couldn't, so he stopped. He then went and sat on the bonnet of the car again, and he pulled out a very long, very sharp hunting knife, like a machete. Oh. And this is oh. when Alison was like, okay, I'm actually in a whole lot more danger than she thought she was. Right? She was like, oh, God, you know. Yeah. She asked if she could get dressed yeah. in a very calm and very polite way, not to piss them off. But they seemed to kind of forget that she was there for a moment. They started talking to each other again in disjointed English and Afrikaans. And they were like, oh, what should we do with her? And do we just leave her? Do we, like, what, what do we do? And one of them said, what do you think Um Nick would want us to do with her? Um Nick was another name for Satan. Yeah. So things just took an even darker turn. They were then laughing Are they about. Sacrifice her to Satan. Just listen, you're putting me off. I'm sorry, but you brought Satan into it. I didn't. They did. It's not me. <laughs> okay. Oh. So they laughed about it and said, "Oh, Um Nick would want us to kill her." And at first, Allison thought they were just taunting her because the more sinister words that they spoke were in English. And what she could pick up in Afrikaans wasn't, it was just kind of normal talk. So she thought that they were taunting her and kind of bluffing. Uh, she also heard the ends refer to Clinton as Franz. So now she knows his name is actually Franz and not Clinton. Um, so she now knew his name and she would hold on to this. Uh, Allison said to the two guys, like, I'm not going to go to the police. Like, just, just take me back. I'm not going to go to the police because I would be mortified if my parents found out. She didn't want anyone to know. She said she wasn't even going to tell her boyfriend because he yeah. might leave her. You know, he might break up with her and she didn't want that. So yeah. she was just pleading with them to take her back. Franz then came back round to the car where she was and told her to get undressed again. 
So she had to go through that humiliation. The men then took all of her jewelry off her. She was wearing a couple of rings and one of them was a puzzle ring that she purposefully like took apart and she gave it to Thien's and watched him try to put it back together and he just failed and put it in his pocket. <laughs> so like a little victory for her. So she had been stripped naked, raped, humiliated, and now she was being robbed. She was hoping that this would be it. They're just going to drive off and leave her there. But unfortunately, this would not be the case. The next thing she knew, Franz lunged at her. And while straddling her, he started to strangle and choke her with his hands. This took her aback. Not only was she being strangled, but out of the two guys, she originally thought that Franz was like the lesser of two evils. And he was scrawny and he yeah. was lanky while the ends was more like stocky. He was the one who called her a lady while the ends called her a bitch. Like she just thought if any of them are going to attack her, it was going to be the ends. You know what I mean? But regardless, she's being strangled. She's fighting for her life. And through a very restricted airway, she managed to gasp, please don't kill me. And Franz just replied with a very flat, sorry. Like, he was just like, sorry. Sorry, sis. Yeah, sorry. That's what we're doing. Franz is a bit of a paradox, and we are going to get into that in a bit. Um, but as he was strangling Alison... She felt her bowels move and empty, and this will come up again. I'm not saying this for shock value, but this is... I'm saying this, one, because it's to give an account of everything this woman is dealing with, and two, it's another natural bodily response, and three, this natural bodily response will come into play a little bit later into saving her life. So after Alison had defecated, she was washed over with black and she passed out. Now, I'm going to put a little pin in the story. Sorry for the little cliffhanger. But I'm going to take a very quick moment to tell you about Franz and Theans. And who they are and how they got to this moment. I don't even want to know. No, I are. know. I know we don't want to know, but we do want to know in They're true crime. scumbags. Yeah. So, Franz Adrian Dutrois was born on July 6th, 1968. He was born in Port Elizabeth into a Christian family. He was baptized, but he actually didn't go through all the sacraments. Like he never got co he never got confirmed. So he's like a wannabe Christian, if you will. Uh, his father was a police officer. He's a fake. He's a, he is a fake. Uh, his father was a police officer, and by most accounts, his childhood was more or less normal until it wasn't. So while he was in year eight which is standard six in South Africa. So he's probably about 12 years old. He was expelled from school because he set fire to a dormitory and claimed it was because he was listening to heavy metal music and that influenced him to do it through subliminal messaging. Okay. What even? Yeah, but he was expelled Bro, take, at year take eight. Take responsibility for your actions. Right? Seriously. His family then moved to a different... Wait, like his dad just needs to arrest him. <laughs> well, it's quite interesting that it's like, you hear a lot of these stories about uh, about perpetrators, and usually a lot of them do come from having, like, a law enforcement family member, like either their mum or dad or, or something like that. So after this, his family moved to a different town, and at 13 years old, he started to dabble in Satanism, and he started to explore that religion. 
he was starting to hang around with other kids who were also pushing boundaries, starting to cause a bit of trouble. But he became lazy at school and he failed year nine or standard seven twice. Like how the fuck do you fail year nine? It's an introductory year. I don't, I don't know how you fail year nine twice. That just makes me laugh. He's stupid. He is very stupid. While at the school, he met and briefly dated a girl who claimed that she was a witch and like the head of a coven. And this girl said that she liked to conduct rituals where demons manifested. And she would cast spells of ill fortune onto people, but their dark spirits were drawn to each other. So pretty much crazy was drawn to crazy. Franz would later say that he believes that this witch girlfriend of his cast a possession spell on him and a demon called Incubus lived inside of him. And in folklore, the demon Incubus seeks to have sexual intercourse with sleeping women. So, yeah. Uh, to no one's surprise, Franz didn't finish school and he was sent off to the army. He was stationed in a place called Kimberley and he fought at the border of Southwest F. Shock. Yeah. And he fought at the border of Southwest Africa for about 19 months. But he also spent a lot of time in the detention barracks as well until he was discharged from the military. So after his stint in the army, he then went to work in a town called Welcome, which is about eight and a half hours north from Port Elizabeth. It was like he was working in the mines or something, but he was he was shit at that job. He is very shit at everything. He managed to land himself a wife and they had a baby girl, but because his wife didn't satisfy him sexually, he walked out on them both. Ugh. It's like, good, because he's what a shitbag and it sucks for her being left as a single mum and that girl's now going to grow up without a father, but you wouldn't want him as your father. So it's like a win-lose situation and he's, he's just a shitbag. So after he moved back down to Port Elizabeth, where his mum and dad helped him find a job again, and they found him a job as a truck driver for a chain of stationery stores. Did you, um, this is slightly random, did you hear the, did you hear what happened with the stationery stores? Which stationery stores? Did you hear about them? They moved. Do you get it? I don't get it. <laughs> Did you hear about the stationery stores? They moved. You know what stationery means, right? Oh. <laughs> but um, I was just thinking of like pens and pencils. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That was my little oh, joke. I forgot that there's double meaning to that <laughs> So yeah, so he was a truck driver, but he was promptly fired after being caught stealing money from the company like the dumbass he is. In 1993, he met and married another woman called Natalie. And Franz asked the devil, Satan, um Nick, if you will, he asked the devil for a son to be born on his birthday. And on July 6th, 1994, the couple welcomed a no. son. Yep. The devil pulled through for him. Like, what the hell? 
No. Yes. What the fuck? I know. No. Yeah. You're lying. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> he had a son on his birthday after asking the devil for one. No. So, after Franz lost his job as the truck driver... He opened a Shabin, which is an unlicensed establishment or a private house where people sold alcohol illegally. And through the Shabin operation, yeah, Shabin, it looks like she bean, Shabin, Shabin. And through the Shabin, 26 year old Franz would meet the ends. We will come back to do a bit more of a dive into Franz's psyche because it is really fascinating to read about, but that is his little backstory. That is Franz Adrian Dutois. The end's Johannes Kruger. He was born in 1975, making him 19 years old at the time of the attack on Alison. 19. How old was Franz at the attack? 26. And Alison is 27. The fact that they're younger just I know. It's, me it's just, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I get that as well. I don't know what it is, but it's like... It's like little baby home. boys, fuck off. No, no. So the fact that these boys are doing this, and one of their boys younger than her, even just by one year, just... Ick. Like... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, gives me the ick. Young boys, boys <laughs> younger than me, give me the ick. <laughs> So the Enns' biological father walked out on him and his mum before the Enns was born, like when his mum was pregnant. And his biological father, we don't know who he is, but he, he landed himself in prison like he scumbag out of the picture. Then the Enns' mum met and married another man whose name was the Enns Kruger. So he legally adopted the, the new baby and called him the Enns after himself. So... <laughs> Yeah, cool. The Enns Kruger the the first, the senior, he was a piece of shit. He was violent and he was always drunk and The Enns' mother would soon divorce him. him. The Enns did claim in a letter to a, that he sent to his mother later on that he had been sexually assaulted by Mr. Kruger, the his his stepdad. But whether that's factual or not, we will never know for sure. But if it is true, then I feel really bad for kid the ends. And we always say this here, like, kids don't deserve anything bad happening yeah. to them. It's not their fault. But no. we don't feel bad for them when they grow up. Right? Um, no. You, and, you know, we can... They could break the cycle. Yeah. And they, could, they could just not do it. And even when they commit a crime and we see them repeating the behavior that happened to them and yes we can trace it back to their traumatic experiences we don't excuse it like you said they can break the cycle um no. a podcast that i listened to about time for true crime by abby and ali little shout out to them they actually put it in a good way and they say they heard it from someone but they say trauma is never your fault but healing is your responsibility and i i love that like it's good, eh? Yeah. Like, you can't just say, oh, yeah. the, the trauma made me do it, but you never took any active steps into seeking help or accepting help or getting onto the good path. So, no, you know, it's your responsibility. Yeah. 
to to heal. So yes, I feel bad for baby theans, but not for older theans. So after theans's mum left Mr. Kruger, theans Kruger the first, the senior, she posted an ad in the Lonely Hearts section of a newspaper. And do you know what the Lonely Hearts ad section is? Get up. I think I can guess what it is. It's like it's newspaper the, uh, Tinder. Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you you send it's in the old fashioned Tinder. Yeah. You send in an ad with like all your basic information and then you get set up with like potential matches from other people who have sent in ads. <laughs> I love it. I think we should have one of those still. I think brilliant. so. However, there are a lot of true crime cases that involve the Lonely Heart section of the newspaper. Like, there's literally a serial killer called the Lonely Heart oh, Killer. 100%. <laughs> Bian's mum put up a, an ad in the Lonely Heart section and she met, she got a match. And this was with a man called Mr. Stein. And Mr. Stein worked as a labourer in the forestry department. And so the family had to move to the Sitsikama Forest... But in this little town, in the Sitsikama Forest, Mr. Stein was known as the village idiot. Uh, he was also a drunk. He, she really needs to set herself some standards. I know, I know. Right. Poor lady. Come on, girlfriend. I know. Uh, he was also a drunk, and he would take his drunken rage out on the ends. The ends was also bullied at school, and he was called Dre Tiet, which means... Three tits because he had a third nipple. <laughs> Do you know, every time I hear about someone having a third nipple, I instantly think of Harry Styles. Obviously, kid, the ends didn't deserve this. Uh, like we said, we feel bad for him as a kid. And it got so bad for him that at one stage that he seriously contemplated suicide, which is really sad. Uh, again, for the kid, not who he becomes. The ends, unlike Franz, didn't fail school. He actually went through and, and completed year nine, at least. <laughs> but he did drop out after... Um, wow. He dropped out after year 10, or standard eight. And just like Franz, he went and joined the army. Uh, however, he wasn't in the army for very long, and he had his third nipple removed when he was in the army. <laughs> After leaving the army in early 1994, the ends claimed to have an intense sexual relationship with a satanic witch. What is it with witches in South Africa? <laughs> but again, it's seriously, it's these girls like weird how they both had this interaction with some sort of witch, right? Messed up. <laughs> Messed up. Then, in June of 1994, the Ends would meet Franz Dutois in the Shabine. The Ends started confiding in... I'm sorry, that's such a funny <laughs> The Ends started confiding in Franz, and they started to do what men do in locker room talk. You know, they'd talk about women and what they want to do to them and oh. their sexual experiences, or in the Ends' case, his lack of sexual experiences because he couldn't always find... A willing partner. They did bond over their witch connection, and Theans told Franz that he didn't believe in God, but he believes in the devil. And this obviously sang to Franz's heart. 
and as he was also on the, the satanic path, right? So Franz became the big brother type role to Dienz, took him under his wing and taught him all that he knew about the devil and demons. Like they were just a match made in hell, to be perfectly honest. I love that. I love how you twisted that. Oh, thank you. They're a match made in hell. I was like, when you said a match made, I was like, don't say heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say heaven. No, they were a match made in hell. In the fiery pits of torturous hell, because that's where they belong. They can burn together in hell. Yeah. So now we know a little bit about the two fuckbags, let's get back to Alison. Yeah, to the cliffhanger you've left me on. Yeah, sorry. We left her being strangled and she blacked out, right? She blacked out from Franz strangling her. And it's uncertain how long she was unconscious, but when she came to, she realised she was no longer in the car, but lying on the ground in and around the dirt and rubbish, and she could just make out a blur of motion above her. As her eyes started to focus, she couldn't make out who was on top of her because the full moon was directly behind them. And she uh, described this in the book, I Have Life, as, quote, The moon was directly behind his head and formed a surreal halo. It was a terrifying moment, end quote. And I note that it's the full moon because that will come up again as another thing that saves Alison's life. So just hold on to the moon. Just hold on to the moon, okay? The motion, the blur of motion that she was starting to make out was an arm wielding a knife slashing right to left back and forth over and over and over. Was someone cutting her? She could hear wet ripping sounds, but she couldn't feel anything. It was a very confusing, terrifying moment, but she came to realise that the knife was slicing her neck. The ripping sound was her flesh, and the wet sound was blood going everywhere. But Alison didn't feel a thing. She wasn't in any pain. She couldn't feel what was going on. What the... Yeah, just... Frickety frick! Yeah, just, just wait, just wait. The man then stopped walked away and Alison was left lying there. She had no idea like how she was alive, if she if what was happening was what she think was happening, or the extent of the damage done to her. She could hear the men had started to walk off and they were saying like, Oh, do you think she's dead? Or no one could survive that, like, you know, that kind of talk. And Alison was starting to roll over as they said this, but decided that if they saw her move they might come back and finish the job. They thought she was dead, but she was very much alive. Luckily, the men didn't see her. They carried on talking. She heard them get into her car, throw her clean laundry on top of her, and drove off. Again, not realising that she was very much alive, and them throwing those clothes at her was another factor into how she survived tonight. Just hold on to that as well. You've got the moon. And you've got the clothes. <laughs> Alright? And there was something else. Her defecating person. Her defecating, yeah. Her emptying her bowels. Alright? So hold on to those, okay? Gonna come back into play. Yeah. So this woman, right? Yeah. Has been kidnapped. Yeah. Raped. Yeah. Strangled. Yeah. Has woken up to the sound of her throat being cut. Yeah. Alive. How is that humanly possible? We're not even done. 
We're not even done. Are we done with them two fuckwits? They've driven off and they've thrown her clothes out yeah, of the car. So are they like her pool laundry? Just, 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 just hang on to your trousers because we're not done. All right. So she's lying on the floor and Alison can hear like this weird wheezing windy sound, right? And she's taking a moment to think what it is and she realizes that it's the breath coming out of her severed windpipe. And now as extreme as that is, which it is, her severed windpipe also contributes to saving her life. So hold on to that. <laughs> I think she's just an angel and Jesus just, has come down and gone, these two satanic demons are after this poor girl. So, yeah, so hold on to the severed windpipe, okay? I've got a list of these things and I'll, I'll explain them as we go, okay? But she could hear her own breath coming out of her lungs through her windpipe. She That's also... Insane. Okay, pay attention, right? You ready? She could also feel something cold and wet and, like, squishy on her legs and so she went to move her hand to feel what it was and that's when she realized her entire intestines both big and the large and small ones were spilling out onto her legs and onto the ground around her she had been sliced open in the abdomen and had been disemboweled her organs were out everywhere how is she alive We'll get there. We'll get there. Now, because she knew that her neck had been slashed at, right? She had seen... Well, you know, that's what she woke up to. She reached up to assess the damage as much as she could. So she puts her hand to her throat, and I shit you not, her hand disappears inside of her throat. The entire front of her neck had been opened and exposed. Oh my gosh. So she's lying there, and... She's, she does an interview later on. I was going to play the clip, but I actually can't find it very quickly. But she, she said that in this moment, she had an out-of-body experience. And it was as if she was looking down at herself. And in this interview, she said, I felt sorry for the girl lying on the floor. And I, at that point, I had a choice to make. I was either going to bleed here, bleed out here and die, or I'm going to get up. And I'm going to live. Like, how fucking powerful is that? She chose to live. Right? And she, like, she's only... This is insanity. It is. I told you. I told you. This story, Grace. We're not even there yet. She's only had her abdomen ripped out and her windpipe on display. Right? And so, and she's only, she's only feeling around at the moment. She doesn't know the true extent of the damage. She's just going by what's she can feel right but she chose to live and like you know when you at school you have to do like a little blurb like you have to write down who your heroes are if I knew Allison's story back when I was at school I would have put her down as my hero like she is a fucking legend right bro I remember going on that I remember at St. Claudine our primary and intermediate school there was a day, there was a dress-up day where you had to come as your hero. <laughs> I was in my Glee era. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> and Corey Monteith had just died, mm. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Corey yeah. Monteith had just died. 
I decided to dress up as Leah Michelle. And I was like, she's my hero because she lost Corey Monteith and she still showed up on Glee um, and acted as Rachel going through the death of Corey Monteith. I am now, now know of Alison, but yeah. because of all the other people I could have chosen, I was just like, I chose to go as Leah Michelle, Michelle for acting you through her boyfriend's death. Ah, so embarrassing. Anyway, it's just. <sighs> so Alison's lying there and she chooses to live, right? And she was smart about it. She. If she didn't survive because she knew her injuries were severe, she didn't know the extent of them, but her fucking organs are outside of her body on the dirt, the sand, broken glass and shit. If she didn't survive, she wanted to make sure that her attackers were identified. So using her finger, she wrote in the sand next to her, Franz and Theans. She wrote their names in the sand and she also wrote, I love mum, underneath. <laughs> my heart right but she, ma- she made the choice to live right so the next thing she did is it's fucking unbelievable Grace you're not ready for this so using a denim shirt that was in the pile of washing that the two fuck bags threw at her right using a denim shirt she made a little pouch and tied it around her and heaped her intestines into the pouch Right? Right? So, if they didn't throw the washing, she would have only had, like, her bikini. And, like, that's not going to hold anything. And, you know, like a light summer shirt. That wouldn't hold anything. So, they didn't realise that throwing her clothes actually helped her. Damn, son. Yeah, I know. I'm so obsessed with the story. It's just unreal. She then, so she tied a little pouch and she got her intestines in there she then rolled onto her stomach and using one hand to hold her throat she started to crawl she started to crawl towards the road then she realized that crawling was just taking too long it was just gonna take far too long and she was tired she was exhausted she's like "I, i can't crawl anymore so with every fiber of her being she stood up she stood the fuck up oh my gosh but as soon as oh my gosh as soon as she stood up, everything went black. Not because she passed out, but because her head had fallen back in between her shoulder blades and she was looking directly up at the night sky because she had nearly been decapitated. There's no way this woman could still right? be alive. So, just for like your visual, right? She went up and her head fell back. And was sitting between how her shoulder blades. I don't understand how she has. They must have missed every vital vein. Stop jumping ahead of me, please. <laughs> artery in her neck. Like you've got the carotid. Yeah. Is it? Am I saying the car- okay, carotid? Right. Yeah. They they must have missed. All of that. Stop jumping ahead of me, please. (laughs) We'll get you. Yeah. So, yeah, so her head had fallen back. All the muscles that supported her head had been severed and her head just rolled back. 
Plus, her throat was exposed, all the insides, her windpipe, that's just sticking out. And that's what she's breathing. Like, not to sound crude, but she probably looked like a zombie at this point. You know, she has an Yeah, I organ... was about to say, if someone saw her, they probably thought there was a headless person walking yeah. through the woods. Yeah, like, she had, like, a, a pouch of organs, and she's, like, covered in blood. She's head to toe fucking covered in blood, right? Her head's fallen yeah. back at this unnatural angle. But do you know what she does? She uses her hand. She grabs her hair. She yanks her head back up. Holds her head down. Holds her organ pouch. And she carries on fucking walking. <laughs> like. What? I love and her. I have a boyfriend eating soup because his <laughs> mouth hurts from the dentist. <laughs> I told you. After the story... You'll feel so powerful. Nothing will be a problem anymore. There are no challenges in life, okay? Like, he's sitting here going, oh, I hurt so much, Can you come me show? And this woman is walking through the woods with a near enough decapitated head and a denim shirt full of her organs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now... Seriously. I had just mentioned what? before... I just mentioned before about the full moon and how it played a factor into saving her life. Not only was it a full moon, but it was a fucking bright full moon and it helped her navigate to the road. Uh, You know, her vision was going in and out. She was exhausted. She's bleeding. And now she's in a lot of pain, you know, because of of everything settling in. She's kind of got past that shock. But because the moon was so bright, she made it hand-holding head and stomach she got to the main highway. So good on her. Because if it was like a cloudy night, she's trying to walk through like the, the canopy of trees. She can't see anything anyway. Like, you know. See, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. <laughs> it was Jesus. Jesus was like, no, not today, Satan. Not today. Now, at one point when she was walking through the forestry, she was on the verge of collapsing, just giving up. Like, you know, but how could, how could you not? But she didn't want to be found there. You know, she'd made the decision to move from where she had written in the sand. She made the decision to live. And she thought, in her mind at this point, she thought if she was found in the woods, in the state that her body was in, she feared that her mum would think that she had suffered. And she didn't want she didn't want her mum to think that. Like, she is just thinking See, of she's other still people. thinking of other people. Yeah. She's just so fucking nice. And she's the one walking decapitate. Yeah, yeah. So Alison said that it felt as if something or someone carried her to the road because even she doesn't know how she did it. Hashtag Jesus. Guardian angels, man. Jesus. 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 (laughs) Actual. He saw, he's like, nah. He's like, little demons. And he just said, not today, Satan. Not today. So as soon as Allison's feet touched the road, she fell to the floor. She she made it. She'd collapsed, and she she crawled a little bit into the road, not like in the middle, but like enough that if someone drove past, they would you know definitely see her. But she also thought like, if I get run over, then I suppose like that's just it. Like, <laughs> like I've already been through hell. <laughs> She's like, I've already been through hell. Just fucking run me over. Like if you're gonna do it, just do it. <laughs> Like, she's like, bro, I'm done. <laughs> <sighs> so, 
yeah, just to do a quick recap, she got carjacked. She got kidnapped at 1am by Franz, drove around town for a bit, picked up the ends, was taken to a clearing, raped, strangled, attacked, brutally stabbed and slashed, lost and regained consciousness, wrote in the sand, started to crawl, picked herself up, stumbled to the road. How long do you reckon this took? It's got to have taken, like... With all of her injuries, a good hour plus. So if she got picked up at 1am, what time do you reckon it'd be? With all the things that have happened, what time do you reckon it'd probably be now? With everything that she's been through. 5, 6 o'clock in the morning? It was just before 3am. The entire attack, the attack took 90 minutes. An hour and a half. And she was picked up at 1. They drove around for a bit. So the whole ordeal probably took up just under two hours. Which, That's insane. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like, no. So as she's laying on the road, she did notice a car started to come in her direction. And at first she had hope, but a millisecond later she started to panic because she thought that it might have been Franz and the ends coming back. And she had just exasperated all of her energy. Please don't tell me it was Franz and the ends. But she had just exasperated all of her energy that she just lay there. She couldn't pick herself up. If it was them, they might as well finish the job. Fortunately, it was not them. But unfortunately, the car slowed down past her and kept driving. Now, before we jump to any conclusions, we don't know anything about this driver. We don't know if it was like a woman by herself seeing a bloody body on the road. They might have thought that the body was a, like left as bait by another attacker. They might have thought that the body was already dead so they can't really do much. Or it was a wounded animal. We can only speculate. And yes, it would have been fantastic if this person was on their way to go and call for help instead, you know. But... We don't know anything. But then another miracle happened because on this mostly deserted highway at this time of night, another car came not too long after. And thankfully, this car stopped. Oh, thank goodness. And it was a group of young people who were heading back from a night out on the town and one of them had a cell phone, which obviously sounds like a no-brainer, but this is the early 90s and cell phones were not in everyone's hand, right? So they called for an ambulance. Now, one of the guys in the car was 20-year-old Tian Illerd. I don't know how to say his last name. It's so hard. Now, obviously, we've got Dien's and now we've got Tian. Let's not confuse them because Tian is a fucking knight in shining armor. Let's just put that there. Now... Another miracle. Tian was in Port Elizabeth on holiday. He wasn't even fucking meant to be there. He was on holiday. He was on study break from university. And guess what he was studying? Medicine. He to was, be a doctor. He was training to be a vet. So he had... Same thing. Some medical <laughs> experience, but... He, so not human medicine, but medicine, medical experience, nevertheless. And he put it to work. Bro, just make, let him graduate. He doesn't even need to finish the course. He doesn't, he doesn't need to finish. He's, he's he passed. He graduated. Her and then, honestly, he's just helped a woman with her organs out, her head near enough decapitated. He's graduated. That's it. He's got his degree. <laughs> he's finished. 
Tian knew that he needed to keep her awake while they were waiting for the ambulance. He knew that he needed to tuck her thyroid, which had been sliced in two, and he knew that he, it needed to stay wet and moist, so he t tucked it inside of her neck. He knew that he needed to keep any blood that was left inside of her circulating because she, like, she was covered head to toe. There was a trail from where she had walked to the road and crawled onto the road, and now there was a pool around her. So any blood that she had left, he knew he needed to keep it circulating. So How he, she had any left. Yeah. So he grabbed a couple of mates to start rubbing her legs to keep that blood flow going. Tian could see veins, muscles, vocal cords, windpipe... Just everything. It just oh, he'd be traumatized. Yeah. But he held They'd all be traumatized. But he held Alison's hand and he just kept talking to her and he said that she had the most beautiful eyes and she had to keep them on him. He's like, Don't you dare look away, like you gotta look at me. Um he was trying to get information I know, I love him so much. Just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. So <laughs> He was trying to get information from her and surely they just get married just just wait just wait <laughs> but because she could hardly speak he was like squeeze my hand once for yes squeeze it twice for no uh, and this would also help keep her awake he had taken his shirt off to wrap it around her stomach to help keep stuff in and not go anywhere but then he was like oh you need to take me out on a date to pay me back for the shirt. This is a new shirt, and look what you've done. Like, I just love him so much. Like, ah. And... say you got to meet people. I know. Never mind what the art newspapers. Just try just die on the side of the road. Some handsome man will come take his shirt off and... And help I'm out. assuming he's handsome. I don't He's got a handsome personality, so he is handsome. Yeah. It took four phone calls to get through to emergency services. Because remember, this technology isn't flash. There's not 50 phones with 50 people manning them back at this point. So frustratingly, it took four phone calls to get through and then 50 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. 5-0. 50 or 15? 50-5-0 for the ambulance to arrive to take Alison to the hospital that was that's actually a very good point what now I'm very confused why how did people get in touch with an ambulance before phones I didn't research that deep <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a, a popped into my head. there is a true crime um, case about the Sodder family which was a big like fire that burst it's, it, that's actually a really good one you'd actually like that one and they talked about how, because there was no 911 or 111s or 999s or wherever you are in the world, there was not there. So you had to call like a um, like an, a, a dude who would patch you through, who would patch you through like it's a whole mess. But the 911 didn't come in until like the 1960s or something. Like it was really surprisingly recent. Yeah, but how did you call them? Really loudly. You stood outside and you yelled really loudly. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> it took four phone calls to get through and then 15 minutes, five zero minutes for an ambulance to arrive to take Alison to the hospital that was 
15 minutes away from where she was. Oh my goodness. To add to the frustration, the ambulance drove really slowly. Like Tian, who went into the ambulance with her, had to remind them that this was an emergency and they needed to hurry up. But they were saying, like, bro, she's a lost cause. Like, she, like, look look at her. Like, she's not going to make it. Dude, that's no excuse to drive slow. But what do I know? I'm not an ambulance driver. Anyway, I will note that Tian did consider taking Allison to the hospital himself in the car that he was in. But with her wounds being so severe, he physically couldn't move her. Fair enough. Yeah. When they finally got to the hospital, Allison was rushed into the casualty unit where Tian had to be pried off of her. He held her hand the entire way and he said that he, as soon as she was taken in, he stayed and he waited until she had a family member come because they don't know who she is at this point. They don't know her name. They don't know anything about her and he was worried that her attackers would come back and be like, oh, I'm, I'm her boyfriend or something like that. And he didn't want anyone going into that room unless they could prove that they were family or not a threat. I love him! <laughs> I love him. So. I love him. Needless to say, none of the doctors or the medical staff knew where to start or what to do with Alison. Like... What do you do? I haven't even told you the medical list of her damages, of her injuries. I'm going to get there in a minute, but like... <sighs> so they started putting tubes into her. They tried to clean areas to see the full extent of her injuries. And Alison uh, started to feel like she was choking on blood and she was still able to communicate to the nurses about it. Like her fight to survive and live, it's unparalleled. I've not heard anything like this. Insane. We have some idea of Allison's injuries, but I'm going to give you the medical list. Are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> Should we do part two? Come back next week for part two. <laughs> no. Allison had suffered 37 slashes in the abdomen, pelvic, and genital region. So they cut down there. Yeah, yeah, just wait. Just wait. Because I know I didn't tell you that part of the story, but I'll get. We'll get there, okay? She had suffered 37 slashes in the abdomen, pelvic, and genital region. Her intestines had been exposed, ruptured. They were covered in dirt, sand, leaves, broken glass, and slashed at. But because she had emptied her bowels, because that happened, her risk of infection decreased significantly. And if she hadn't emptied them, her intestines would have exploded. So that saved her life. Damn. Right? What if? Right? Allison's throat had suffered. S- <laughs> you seen a minute to process. Like, this isn't going to sound very nice. But because she pooped. Yeah. Her bowels didn't explode. Yeah. That's. Amazing, right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So then. Ooh. Carrying on, because that's not it. We're carrying on, that's not it. Her throat had suffered 17 slashes. She had been cut from ear to ear. Her thyroid, like we said, had been sliced in half. And because Tian, the vet nurse slash knight in shining armor, had tucked it inside her body to keep it wet, if he hadn't have done that, 
that wound alone would have killed her and should have killed her. But because he knew what he was doing, he saved her life. Uh, Alison's windpipe had been cut at the, uh, like in line with her collarbone, like that's where it had been cut. Her larynx had been separated from the lower part of her trachea and the main veins in her neck had been cut. She was essentially breathing out of a hole in her collarbone. Now, remember how I said that the way her windpipe had been cut actually contributed into saving her life. Right? You holding on to that still? Yeah. 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 Because it was cut, it allowed airflow into her lungs. So if they hadn't cut her neck, if they just slashed at her abdomen, she would have choked on her blood, it would have gone into her lungs, into her airways, and she would have died. So they cut her throat and saved her life. Like, it's a yeah. fucked up paradox. There is a procedure that... A yeah, they, there is a procedure that doctors do, and they put an air vent there. A, tra- a tracheotomy? Trache- tracheotomy, yeah. You watch the medical shows, not me. A tracheotomy? Yeah, tracheotomy. Yeah. And, like, sometimes... I know it's very rare and it's in the medical dramas I watch. But if New Amsterdam. Like <laughs> choking or something in a shop, they're, like, making a decision there and put, like, a straw so yeah. that it can get airflow. Yeah. Like that. But that's what happened. Now, you may be wondering, and I know you have been because you've already said, how the fuck did she survive this? Right? I'll tell you how. With all the 54 slashes she suffered, all of her major arteries and organs were untouched. I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. I said that. You did. That's why I was like, stop getting ahead of me. (laughs) These, these, these two dimwits who didn't finish school. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know fucking normal anatomy. Night happy on this poor woman. Somehow missed every single major artery. Important part to kill it. Yeah. Now she's just. <laughs> it's unreal. What a living legend. It's unreal. What a living legend. So once Alison. <laughs> you like you're throwing your head back. <laughs> how did how did that not like snap her arteries? It fell. Because they're all like in here, and like she had been slashed just at the front. Yeah, it's 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 such an unbelievable story. Like it sounds like an over over dramatized. It. it sounds like an over dramatized terrible it zombie like one movie. Of my medical dramas. No, but it also it it sounds like a you know if you watch like a zombie movie and you just look at it going fuck sake, like that's just so unrealistic. Like that's so rubbish. Like they don't even look real. Like that's what this sounds like. But this actually happened to an actual person. So once Allison was stabilized and prepped for emergency surgery, and okay, get this. So yeah, no shit, she needed emergency surgery, right? The anesthesiologist, yeah, the anesthesiologist, Dr. David Coman, he came in and was communicating with Allison, um, saying that, you know, they need to get her in there, but they don't know who she is. She's got no ID. She can't speak. So they needed to get a written consent from her to go forward with the surgery because because they don't know who she is. She can't look up her records. They have no family there because they don't know anyone's number. They've got no one there to sign on her oh. behalf or any. I I know I know, but I I 
it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense at the same time. Like, just get this bitch in the I OR. I think she's got a consent. Yeah. But they needed uh, Alison to either verbally consent, but she couldn't talk. So the next best thing was written consent, right? Alison was able to not only sign her name, but also write down her mother's telephone number. Like, what a legend. I think her brain is on some next level, like, strength juice, like, super juice, because she never becomes, like, disorientated and forgets who she is or where she is. She doesn't forget anything about the attack. She remembers her mum's telephone number. It's just, her focus on survival is unreal. So anyway, she's stabled and prepped for surgery, but because it's a high-risk surgery and no one thought she was going to be alive for this long, they wanted to get information about her attack beforehand just in case she died during the surgery, which makes sense, right? It makes sense, right? I thought that made sense. It does, but also to get this woman into... I understand. <laughs> but, like, but just get her I'm in. also quite, like... This woman just needs the surgery. <laughs> she has been riding on her own... Let's just, let's just give her some assistance. <laughs> let's just get her into the surgery and assist her in her battle to live. <laughs> like, like, seriously, let's just help her out a little bit here, right? She's, she's done the hard yards. She <laughs> literally. Just she's over literally crawled the yards, like. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, so the... Give her a nice, friendly shove over the finish line. Just to, just to help her out a little bit. <laughs> she's done... She's doing, like, a 10K here. She's done 9.9Ks by herself. <laughs> Let's just help her on the last 0.1K. Hey. Yeah. You're not wrong, but I get... they. She could die in the surgery, so they need to know who did it to her. I get the thinking. I get that. But... I'd also be looking at this woman going, get her over. Let's just get her. But yeah, I get the thinking. Okay. But I also don't get the thinking. <laughs> so, two police officers, this was Nadia Swainpool and Jacques Van Rensburg, they came in and Alison was writing things down on paper. Um, you know, she was starting to write down her details and, and starting to describe what happened. But they wanted her to take a look at a, a book of mugshots that they had. And she studied it picture by picture now she couldn't move ahead so they held up the book and she would like squeeze her hand when it was time to turn the page and she was looking and she was making sure she looked at every mugshot and then it happened she saw their pictures and at first she had a little bit of doubts but then she lifted her finger and pointed to the two mugshots and it had their full names underneath and she knew that her attackers were Franz Dutois and Theans Kruger. And she pointed and she said, well, she didn't say, because she can't talk, but she did it. She fucking did it. So after the police left, the district surgeon came in and they had to do a rape kit for forensic testing. And Alison just knew that this was the next step to take. It just needed to be done. Uh, and originally there were only... Just get her in the surgery. Okay, okay, we're getting there, we're getting there, okay? So... At first, they were only prepping to do surgery on her abdomen because she would need to see an ENT specialist for her throat, right? That's a completely different type of surgery, okay? And this is where the next miracle of the evening comes in. There was a doctor on shift that night, and his name is Dr. Alexander Angelov, and he was originally from the Middle East, 
where he was trained as a thoracic surgeon. <laughs> he was an ENT surgeon back in the Middle East. Yes, buddy. So he could not only just do the abdomen, he could also do the thoracic surgery all in one go. So it wasn't going to be, we'll do your abdomen surgery now, come back next week, and we'll, well not, you know, should stay in the hospital, but like, we're going to do another major operation on you in a couple of days' time. Like, it could all be done in one one go. But he's the only one that was on. Like, she would have had to book in for a specialist. Like, it, again, miracle that he's working on this night. Like, oh, I love it. I just love this. So just before... Jesus, man. I'm yeah. <laughs> the Lord works in mysterious ways. He does. And he worked that night. <laughs> just before her surgery... Allison's blood pressure dropped to 90 over 50. And for those of you who that says nothing to, a normal adult should be sitting around 120 over 80. So hypertension is sitting in. Her heart rate had rocketed up to 125 beats per minute. And again, the normal adult rate should be between 60 and 100. So her body's going into shock with blood loss, the dehydration, she was at risk of early renal failure. Like, it was now, her body was like, fuck, I'm, I'm sick of waiting for you all. I'm just going to stop. This is what I was saying. This is what I was saying just before. Yeah. She can't do the last point one k on her own .9. Yeah. Luckily, they managed to get her stabilized again, and they took her into surgery. Dr. Angelov started on the neck wounds, and this took about two hours. And then he went on to cleaning the abdomen area, which, you know, it's a very delicate surgery, but it only took an hour. So this whole thing took three hours, which I just feel like it would have been a hell of a lot longer, right? Yeah, a little bit. Which, yeah, but no, he must be that good. He just must be, like, so good. So. What a legend. What a man. He is. While he was doing her abdomen surgery, it was noted that her lower bowel had been ruptured, but her uterus had been nicked by the knife, but was fine. Absolutely fine. There was no damage to her reproductive organs whatsoever. After Dr. Angelov finished, he then went in again and removed the intestines to check again that there was no air bubbles, no leaks or anything. He wanted to make Sure, triple, triple sure that <laughs> everything was fine. Yeah. He then stitched her up and Allison was officially out of the danger zone. Oh my gosh. Dr. Angelov, who is a man of science, oh my God. he said he believed he witnessed a miracle that night and he full on was like, there was no explanation to how she was still alive. This, it's, it's not humanly possible. There's, there's something divine going on here. I've been saying it all along. Jesus. Just putting it out there. I have been saying that all along. It was our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Alright, we're ready for some good heart weeping she didn't moments. die of blood loss? But she didn't lose any, the veins, which takes the bad blood out, but the arteries that's got the good blood weren't... She was dehydrated. She had, like, you know... I know, but she was... Yeah. But not the good blood. She still had the good blood going on. Anyway, so ready for some heartwarming stories now? So, as Alison is recovering in the high care ward, when she came to out of her surgery, the first person she saw was her mama. Her mama came as soon as she got word. And obviously she's like, 
in a mess. She's such a state. But her mum got to meet Tian because he stayed at the hospital. And he told her what happened. And she just thanked him for saving her daughter's life. And I just love it. Oh, I get like all blushed and like flustered when I talk about Tian. Because it's so like wholesome. He is just... the. I find it and a bit of a... I don't know the word you will call it. A parallel maybe? I don't know. But the fact that... It was pretty much, well, it wasn't pretty much. It was men who did this to her. Oh, okay. We will talk about this later on. But it was also men who saved her. I, girl, you were taking the words out of my mouth. We will come. We will come to this. There is you a know. section on this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I Hang noticed on. that, like you yeah. said, you know, Tian saved her on the side of the road. It was a. Doctor who I Doctor was a guy yeah. who the surgeries. Yeah. You know. So it was two guys who did it to her mm-hmm. and then two guys saved her. Yeah. Hold on to that thought because Which, we're we're, g- we're gonna come back to this. Okay, okay we will come back to this. Right. Okay. The one of the first things that Alison said to her mum when she came to and saw her mum was that oh, I love this. She said, like, Mum, I need you to call Helena. And Helena was a friend of Alison's who was arriving in Port Elizabeth from England and Alison was meant to pick her up from the airport. And she's like, can you call her and tell her I'm not going to make it? <laughs> like she's just come out of high-risk surgery and she's like, she remembers that she's got to pick her friend up from the fucking airport. Like, her brain is on a next level. She's so smart. She just has no thought of herself in no. her brain. No, she's just always thinking of others. Like, and like Every her... thought that she has had is, I don't want to die here because I don't want my mum to think I've suffered. Yeah. I've got to pick my friend up from the airport. Um, you know, just no thought yeah. whatsoever has been. Of anyone you know, but herself. I'm tired. I'm hurt. <laughs> I want to die. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, I'm lying in bed. After a major surgery, I'm going to rest for a bit and not even think about my mate. No. Yeah. Like, what a woman. What a, yeah. I mean, her mum just laughed and was like, yeah, I've, I've already called. I've sorted it out. Like, but it just shocked her that that's what her first, you know, one of the first things mm. she says. So over the next couple of days and weeks, Alison had many visitors, including meeting Tian or like re-meeting him. And being able to have a moment with him and, and thanking him and whatnot. Uh, her father, Brian, came f- down from Johannesburg. And, of course, it was really hard on her parents seeing her in that state. They were crying a lot. And, you know, she was... Alison was comforting them, going, it's fine. I'm, I'm all good. I'm fine. But this is the best story, and I know you're going to like this one. So... Alison had a group of friends that came to see her and they didn't really know what to expect. They heard she had been attacked, but you, I don't think you can ever prepare yourself to see your friend in the way that Alison was, right? So they come in, they're all crying, they're all like, oh my god. And Alison says, girls, don't even worry about it. I didn't even break a nail. And indeed, she hadn't broken any nails. <laughs> Like, she still had these perfectly manicured nails. Like, they were all... What? They were all dirty and bloodied and whatnot, but she didn't break a single one. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? What a legend. 
She's actually amazing. Legend. Um, another. Seriously, this woman was possessed by an angel. (laughs) So another another good visitor story. Uh, her brother. Seriously. Her brother Neil. Uh, he and his wife had just had a newborn baby. Had a newborn. They had just had a baby, and since it was the high care ward, you're not allowed to take babies in. So they literally smuggled the baby under their shirt to take it in, so that Allison can meet her niece for the first time. <laughs> I'm like, it's too much. <laughs> but we want to know. She's told the police about who attacked her and whatnot. Did they get them? Melvin Humple was the lead investigator on this case, and with Alison pointing out the two perpetrators in the book before she went into surgery, police were able to locate her car, and they found Franz and Theans by the next morning, December 19th, the day after. They found them so quickly because both men were already in the mugshot books. They already have all their information because both men were out on bail from previous rape and sexual assault charges. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We'll get round. Why? We'll get. Why? (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll get round to it in a minute. But by the time. Why? Why? I'll get round to it in a minute. Said bail for men like that. We'll get round to it in a minute. Uh, by the time Alison was out of surgery, Detective Humple told her that they already had the men in custody. Uh, he said, quote, they won't get bail this time. We won't make this mistake again. End quote. Which, oh, shouldn't Legend. have made the first time, but anyway. Legend. So, the arrest, because France... <sighs> had them. Do the exact same thing, not the rape part, but like the slashing part that they did to her, to them, and see if they would survive it. Put them in the woods and then see if they will walk to the road with their head in between their shoulders, blades. They wouldn't. So Theans and Franz were arrested at 5am on the morning of December 19th, the day after the attack. Uh, They were both at Franz's apartment or housing or wherever the fucking scumbag lived and the arresting officers found a bloodied knife on the breakfast table not only did it have Alison's blood on it but also breadcrumbs and butter smears because they used the same knife they slashed her with to make their fucking breakfast these men are seriously ill they're fucked right now I literally would have paid anything to be a fly in the room at this point. Because the arresting officers are like, you're under arrest for rape, assault, and attempted murder. And Franz was like, wait, we're now being accused for a crime we didn't commit. We didn't attempt to murder someone. We did murder someone. And he's like, why attempted murder? And the officer looked him dead in the fucking eyes and said, she survived. And I would have loved to see him shit his pants when he was told she survived. Can you imagine? So, so as I was telling you about the attack, I was telling it to you from Alison's point of view. And as she had passed out when she woke up, it was her neck that was being slashed. But as we've come to know, her abdomen was being slashed too. So, 
What had happened was Alison had passed out and that's when Franz started slashing her abdomen and the boys were saying Umnik would want them to mutilate her reproductive organs. Well, we know now that they didn't even fucking touch them. So they're dumbasses. But they didn't do what Umnik wanted. Um, and they thought that she died from the abdomen slashing. But she started to regain consciousness, as we know, and they saw her leg twitch. And that's why they went uh, and carried on with the slashing of the neck. After the two men slashed at her neck, they walked away and said, like, surely she's dead, right? And she heard one of them say, yeah, no one could survive that. And she fucking did. She fucking did. Like, how good. <laughs> but that's... She proved them wrong. Yeah. Yeah, she did. So that's kind of the, the last little piece. That's, you know, it was after the strangulation. They realized that she had um, passed out that they started working on her abdomen. So, alright, you're going to get frustrated a little bit again, but it's also like a boss move, but just, just deal with me. So, the district attorney that was putting the case together against Franz and Theans, like, um, putting the case against them, I don't understand why, this must be a South African thing, I don't get it, but the prosecution wanted a verbal confirmation from Alison that Franz and Theans were the perpetrators, right? I don't know why... Yeah the handwriting or the physical confirmation of her pointing was enough but it wasn't so the police have gone back down to the hospital and they've said we need her to say who her attackers were and dr common who was the anesthesiologist was like fuck off she's got a tube in her throat removing it could rip the stitches and the suitors it could uh, increase her risk of infection no way piss yeah. off Alison grabs a piece of paper and she wrote down, take it out. So, they did. They respected her wishes. This woman is not even a woman. She's, <laughs> she's like, uh, she said when it was out, was like, oh, that's much better. Or like, oh, that's wonderful. Like having the tube taken out. Uh, but she, again, she's just seeing humour in everything she's doing and she's just... Trying to keep shit lighthearted. I don't know how she does it. No. Um, but then she gave the verbal confirmation that it was Franz Dutois and Theans Kruger who had attacked her. Three weeks after her attack, Alison was discharged from the hospital, but she had to obviously go back once a week for wound care. She had to have the skin on her stomach and neck scraped to allow new skin to grow and, and skin cells to grow back healthily so it was a painful process and yep. she said that because she did this with dr angelov and he'd be scraping and she'd say like ow that hurts and he would say like that's funny i didn't feel anything like <laughs> just joke around with her and try and make this impossible situation like as light-hearted as can be because because what else are you to do because like we're sitting here going what the fuck and we're like laughing about it because it's like it's it's unbelievable and it's just yeah. like, what? Well, like, I don't even know. <laughs> but it makes me happy. <laughs> I don't even understand how this is um, happening. But okay. Yeah, so it was three weeks after the attack that she was discharged. Um, we, we're going to jump into the judiciary side of things. So about the trial and everything like that. But 
uh, Allison's case was the first time a one-way glass was used in an ID lineup. Uh, so she could see them, but they couldn't see her. Yeah, so when Franz and Theans were in custody and she was asked to identify them again in, an, in a lineup, um, what the victims would have to do, they'd have to go behind the perpetrator and tap the one on the shoulder that, she, that they think is the one that did it. And Alison was like, fuck off. I'm not going anywhere near them. And so Malvin Humple, the lead investigator, was like, well, they're starting to use this one-way glass in America and Europe. Why don't I see if I can get it? So she actually got, like, you know, it's now common practice. You see it everywhere, the one-way glass. It was Alison's yeah. case that got it in South Africa, which is another just amazing thing. Franz and Theans, they had been arrested on December 19th and on December 29th they were ordered to undergo a 30-day psychiatric evaluation at the Valkenburg Psychiatric Hospital in Cape Town. Oh, don't even. Don't even. <laughs> just, just, just. Just stick with me, okay? Just stick with me, all right? And in March of 1995, so after the 30 days... Because the last time you pulled this, he got to walk free. In March of 1995, both men... Psychiatric. Yeah, that was Issei Sagawa, by the way. Everyone should go and listen to that, because that was a very frustrating episode for you as well, Grace. <laughs> Don't even come at me with the psychiatric nonsense. Wow, just just hang tight. It's, it's not like that. Okay, I, I can tell you that now. It's not, it's not like that. Break my laptop. Oh, please don't do that. <laughs> so... After the 30 days of psych evaluation in March of 1995, both men, now you got to listen to this, both men were charged with two counts of rape and sexual assault each and one count of attempted murder each. So to explain this, what came to light was that Alice, the attack on Allison was not their first rodeo. We heard that they were out on bail. What had happened in February slash March of 1994 Franz had abducted a 20-year-old woman who was a mystery shopper and she was in her car filling out some paperwork when he opened the door and held a gun up to her head. He then forced her aside. It's very very similar to what he did to Alison, you know, move over and I'll, or I'll kill you type of thing. Franz then drove her car and took her to a spot that was actually close to where the attack on Alison happened and Franz raped this woman. Afterwards, he drove her to a cafe, bought her a sandwich and a rose, and talked to her about his family and his life. He said um, that if anyone rapes my sister, like, I'm going to kill them, even though he's just raped her. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. He's weird. Very, very He's almost just looking for a companion, but going all about it the wrong way. Exactly. He doesn't get how a relationship works, right? So after he bought her a sandwich and their little chat at the cafe, he drove to another spot and raped her again and was, like, telling her to say to him, like, I love you, like, making her say I love you to him. Uh, he then dropped her off at some random beach and said, you're an amazing person, and I'd love to make it up to you sometime. He's twisted. He's fucked. He is something twisted. He's fucked. He's fucked. Um, 
Now, this woman didn't report anything out of fear at first, and it wasn't until a few weeks after that she went to the police, and the end was found, and he was arrested, but he was released on bail. Which is very annoying. It's very annoying. Then, when he met the ends in... Wait, was that the ends or France? That was France. Sorry. Did I say the ends yeah. at one point? That was France. That was France just by himself, right? Then he met the ends in June of 1994 and on December 4th, 1994 and Alison's attack was December 18th. So a couple of weeks before both Franz and the ends kidnapped a 21 year old pregnant woman, raped her whilst holding a gun to her stomach saying that they would kill her and her baby if she didn't comply. She was then dropped off back at her house and she immediately called the police. They were arrested and once again released on bail. So Franz got released on bail twice. Yeah. They hadn't put his previous charge with this one because he wouldn't have been able to. He wouldn't have been able to. I don't have the full details of everything, but both times were released on bail. But if he had committed a crime whilst already on bail, he shouldn't have been given bail again i don't i don't get it i don't i don't get it all right what also came i don't get why they released these other two women but then decided to slash allison up okay so that this is it's an escalation it's an escalation so in the first one franz took this woman and he talked to her about his life right he was talking about his family he was talking about this and he said like let me make it up to you you're an amazing person let me make it up to you she went to the police and he was caught very quickly and he was arrested, right? So the second time with this woman, there was no talk. There was no anything. There wasn't any way to identify them. There was no nothing. So they let her go, but they still got caught and arrested. So the, the difference between the first and second was the, the talk. Franz didn't tell her about his family and about his life or anything like that. Now they get to Alison and they're like, we keep getting fucking arrested Next time there won't be a witness. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's an escalation of violence. But what everyone found out was on December sixteenth, two days before Allison's attack, a woman was looking for a park outside of a friend's flat when she noticed two men watching her. As she parked the car and turned the ignition off, she looked in her rearview mirror and found one man standing behind her car and the other one at her driver's side door, and she just snapped the locks down on her car. Like, how terrifying would that be? The two men walked away as she, and then, so she locked the door, and then she started the car up to drive away, so the two men just left and walked away. Once she heard about Allison's attack that happened, like, literally the night later... She got in touch with the police because she recognized as she recognized one of Allison's attackers as Franz Dutois, and he was the one that was at her door that night. Bruh. That's fucking scary. So during Franz and Thean's thirty days in the psychiatric hospital, and this is all just interesting psychology stuff. It, it fascinates me. It was noted that Franz exhibits nine out of twelve characteristics of a psychopath. He's articulate. He is a psychopath. Yeah, he is. He's articulate, narcissistic, 
He has no empathy, he lies easily, has no remorse, he's impulsive, takes no responsibility, he has problematic behaviour and he has adult antisocial behaviour. But he's not criminally insane. He knows what he's doing, he knows right from wrong, he's not criminally insane. The ends suffered from low self-esteem and was easily influenced by others. So in this dynamic, Franz is the conscience-free manipulator and Theans is this acceptance-seeking, impressionable misfit, really. Yeah. Franz also claimed to be possessed by a demon, remember, Incubus. Uh, so during the 30 days, he requested a priest to perform an exorcism on him. Nah. The, a priest came yeah. in and performed an exorcism, but nobody believed it. Like, I don't know if he was, like, frailing about going, like, oh, or anything like that, but <laughs> I don't know what happened, but nobody believed it. It was just so conveniently timed with the upcoming trial. Yeah. The trial began in June of 1995, and the 20-year-old rape victim testified, the pregnant woman testified, the near-miss victim testified, and so did Alison. Tian, the vet nurse, the, the man that we all need in our lives, he testified. Dr. Komen and Dr. Angelov testified. Like, the evidence against them was just overwhelming, but it also... I allowed... would have loved to see their faces when Alison testified. Right. A lot. I, I think a few of them, because of the nature of the attacks, they're, um, like, recorded. Like, they're not actually in the room with Franz and the ends. Like, they're yeah, recorded but when as they, like, seen her video or whatever... God, like, it would have been priceless. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, we just just keep us in prison because no, we can't do anything correctly. We just keep getting caught. Like Now, in an interesting turn of events, Franz Dutois took the stand, which you, you don't do. If, if you're being charged with something, you sit down, you shut up, and you do not say anything, right? So he took the stand and he spoke about the rapes as if he was describing his everyday life. He said that it was all the demon incubus inside of him and it wasn't Franz. No, not Franz, the incubus. He also downplayed the end's involvement in the attack on Allison. Not because he was trying to keep his younger friend out of trouble, but because he wanted to like take the attention for himself. Like, yeah, this was me. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. Now, you may remember when I was introducing these two numbnut fuckheads, Franz was married to a woman named Natalie. And remember, they had the devil child on the same day. Yeah, they had Satan's baby. They had Satan's baby because he asked for it. Uh, Natalie stood by her husband throughout the entire thing. She... Yeah. Yeah. And... He, you know, we've just stated that he's a narcissist. He was, like, posing for photos. He loved the press. They, the press had named the two the Ripper Rapists, and he, like, groveled in it. He loved it. But Natalie was there beside her husband the whole way. She did take the stand in the trial, and she was saying that, like, it wasn't him. It was Incubus, as she said, quote, he had these things in him which caused him to do it. End quote. Well, I'm thinking, is this the witch from way back when? Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. girlfriend, just just do better, just do better. Now, the only time Franz ever showed emotion throughout the whole trial was when his mother was on the stand talking about Franz. That was the only time he showed any kind of emotion. Now, 
there was a pause in the trial because the pregnant woman, the 21-year-old who had been raped, she ended up going into labor and had to give birth. The reason why the trial was paused was because if anything was wrong with the baby or the birth or anything like that, the prosecution wanted to be able to hold that on trauma-induced birth or anything that happened was because of the trauma that they put this woman through. Now, luckily, the baby girl was born fine. She did have the umbilical cord around her neck, so she had to kind of fight to breathe through that. But just like her mama, she found the strength to survive, and that was all good. So we're happy about that. On August 7th, 1995, Mr. Justice Chris Janssen sentenced France Dutrois to three terms of life imprisonment, one for each attack. Theans Kruger received 25 years for the rape of the pregnant woman and a life sentence for the attack on Alison. On the day of their sentencing, they were led into the court by Officer Malvin Humpel, the lead investigator, and when he took them over to the booth, he took their handcuffs off and he said, I want you to run so that I've got an excuse to shoot you. He said that, he's like, please, please run. He's like, fucking, please run. I just want to shoot you. Yeah. Obviously, they they didn't run. run. Yeah, obviously they didn't. I know. Uh, When their sentences were read out, Natalie. Yeah. When their sentences were read out, Natalie, Franz's wife, she broke down in tears as she watched her husband get led away. Honestly, girlfriend, they've done you a fucking favor. Do better. Yeah. some standards. And the ends, he banged his fist on the wall and yelled out, quote, well, here we go, fuck you all, in Afrikaans. <laughs> what a fuckbag, piss off. Like, yeah, piss bye bye, Go fucking pick the soap up for someone in prison. Bye bye, booty. So, well, let's get back to Alison. Let's just talk about Alison for a bit. Understandably. I want to know what happened to Francis's devil son. I don't know. I don't know anything about him. We don't need to know about. Leave the poor kid alone. He's got enough to deal with. No, but that's probably good that he didn't grow up to be like his dad. Yeah. Well, we hope not. We hope not. Anyway, Alison, after the trial and her, you know, she's going through her recovery and everything, understandably, she fell into depression. Her ongoing recovery was painful. She did go back to work as the insurance broker at the travel agency, and her bosses were awesome. Like, they let her take time when she needed. Uh, she was paid for her time off, her absence from work. She, they like they were really supportive of her, which is fantastic. But she just lost all motivation to go out. She didn't want to be in public. She, you know, she's got scars and she's got wounds and she's going through recovery. She just wanted to stay at home. Yeah. Her mum Claire moved in with her to take care of her, but it meant it meant that she took the heat of Alison's mood swings. Her tiredness, like, Alison was mean to her mum, but Claire never grew bitter. She stayed so strong for her daughter because her daughter had stayed so strong for her. And I just, ah, I love it, I love it, I love it. But Alison knew that something had to change. Like, she didn't survive this horrific event just to be sitting at home depressed, you know? Yeah. She's like, bro, I've got a second chance. I need to do something with it. So she left the job at the travel agency and they were very supportive of her. And she started to do some soul searching. She went on a trip to Zimbabwe with some friends. She hated it. She went, uh, she underwent counseling back in South Africa. 
She hated it. She didn't know what she wanted to do. And she was just getting so frustrated with everything. At the end of 1995, Allison was awarded the prestigious Rotary, Rotarian Paul Harris Award for Courage Beyond the Norm. And she was asked to speak at the Rotary Club Award Ceremony. She didn't overly hate that. She thought that was all right. She was also the first recipient of Feminist Magazine Woman of Courage. And Alison and Tian won Poor Elizabeth's Citizen of the Year Award in 1995. <laughs> and again, she's being asked to speak at these things and she's not hating it. She's kind of feeling herself. Please. So she should. Uh, just quickly, in 2016, not that long ago, she was awarded with the Council Prestige Award from the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. So she's racking it. She's racking it in. But she's realizing she doesn't hate motivational speaking. This is her call. Yeah. This is what she's going to do. And from that point on, she was booked every week to speak at this club or this university. She traveled to over 30 countries, speaking at conferences, speaking at... Um, Again, clubs, universities, all that. She's being a keynote speaker, a motivational speaker. She's doing workshops. She's doing, she's doing it all. Uh, she is noted for being one of the first women in South Africa to speak openly about rape, which has also opened the gates for other victims who have been silent to come forward. So you may be wondering if Alison and Tian ever went on that date. Unfortunately not. <laughs> but... Their paths did cross again. Instead, Alison found love in a friend of hers, and his name, and I'm going to say this wrong, as I usually do, his name is, I want to say Tiny, but I feel like that's not how you say it. <laughs> Tieni? Tieni Botha? I don't know. T-I-E-N-I-E. -E -E. Anyway. I'm like, I'm happy for her, but I'm also like, don't just... Just, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait, right? His name is, I'm going to call him T Teeny. I'm sorry, that is so wrong. His name is Teeny Botha. So that's where Alison Botha, right? So yeah. Alison and Teeny, oh, I'm so sorry, they met at a mutual friend's house a year after her attack. And during the time they met, Teeny was also going through depression from uh, childhood trauma that was unresolved. And with Alison going through depression... It was their mutual, you know, their, their connection that brought them together, right? Uh, Alison said, healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Allison said, quote, I think our mutual desperation was the basis for our friendship deepening as we helped each other get out of the dark. There was no specific thing that happened or the moment when I knew he was the one. It was just a natural thing for us to discuss the future, knowing that we would spend the rest of our lives together, end quote. Alison and Tini got married in February of 1997. In November of 2003, they welcomed Daniel Botha. And in 2006, they welcomed Matthew Botha. And Matthew was delivered by none other than Tian, who was now a human doctor. <laughs> he delivered her second baby. <laughs> He changed his degree after his encounter with Alison and he went on to become a doctor. And Tian and Alison are still very close friends to this day. 
And she's also very close with Dr. Angelov as well, who was the thoracic surgeon. But he delivered her second baby. Bro, like, how does that, how does that even, like, full circle, man. Right? Like, he saved her life and then brought her child's life into the world. Yeah. I mean, I still would have loved for them to get together. <laughs> how good, right? Now, I will say, though, uh, Alison and Teeny, Teeny, uh, they have divorced. Uh, they're no longer together. I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, but, yeah. So let's look at this really quickly, because you mentioned this before. Alison is now the single mother to two boys. Boys who will grow into men. How hard that must yeah. be, right? And I watched this interview. I'm going to send you the interview after this, Grace, because I, I, I do want you to watch this interview. It's not very long, but I watched this interview that Alison did, and one of the hosts said to her, like, how do you deal with men now? Like, how like, how can you trust them? How can you yeah. even look at them? Uh, and Alison said very calmly, and she said, men saved my life. Tian, yeah. Dr. Komen, Dr. Angelo. It wasn't all men. And I know that's the argument. It's not all men. I know that's the argument that everyone throws out and shit like that. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I know, I get it. But she's saying, like, yes, men men did this to me, but men saved me. You can't just base everything yeah. off a couple of bad eggs. That's, and... Yeah, that was one thing that stood out to me. I was like, it was two, two guys who did this to her. Yeah. Yeah, every important step in her life being saved... Was by a guy there. Yeah. You know. And now she's raising two guys. She's raising two Two boys. boys. Two boys did it. She's now raising two boys. Like. Yeah. It's just all. It's it's that parallel. eh? Yeah. Yeah. It is that parallel. And it is just that full circle. Like. Two boys who weren't raised right. Who went on to do this. And make these choices. Now, there are two boys brought into this world who are going to be raised right. Yeah, yeah, and, and she says that she she speaks about raising strong men who protect women and and stop other men from that locker room talk or or that dodgy behavior. You know, she talks a lot about that. She goes and does like parenting things about raising boys and things like that. Like she's just she's just unreal. But I'm going to get you annoyed again now, so just listen to this, right? (laughs) In 2004, due to changes in the legal system, this meant that Franz and Theans somehow became eligible for parole. Parole! And Alison was not made aware of these changes until the mother of an American woman... Okay, so try and follow this. This is a little bit confusing. So Alison didn't know about this until the mother of an American woman who was engaged to Franz wrote to Alison saying, please help me keep Franz away from my daughter. I heard what he did to you. He's up for parole. Help me keep him away from my daughter. And Alison was like, what the fuck? How is he eligible for parole? They haven't even been in prison 10 years. And two, how the fuck has he got a cell phone and Facebook so he can communicate with a woman who lives in a different fucking country? She was livid. 
I'm just not okay. No. Why? I'm getting a stress rash. <laughs> stress rash? <laughs> Hell? Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. So they, they didn't get parole. Uh, they are very much still in prison, but any time that a parole hearing comes up, Alison has to go back and give a victim impact statement as to why they shouldn't be released. So she has to relive that night every couple of years. I know that she goes around and she speaks about it openly, but it's also the other rape victims. They have the opportunity to go and give an impact statement and they have to go through the whole ordeal all over again. Barbaric. That's actually just barbaric. It's awful, it's eh? It's it's fucking awful. They shouldn't even have parole. No. Uh, so a lot of the information that I've taken for this case is from a book called I Have Life. I've talked about it a few times. And it was first written and published in 1998, not long after the attack. But it was updated in 2006, so Alison could put a little extra chapter at the back giving an update about her life. A documentary was also made, and it's a combination of a like a dramatised reenactment, but also a sit-down interview with Alison herself, and it's kind of yeah. like a hybrid thing. That documentary is called Alison. Now, during the production of the documentary... Franz had contacted Alison through the producer and he said that he'd be more than willing to give an interview for the documentary. Um, Well, he'd only give one if Alison would write him a a letter of forgiveness. And she was like, get fucked. (laughs) But, But then he goes on to say, well, I should be getting shares from your documentary and your book because if it had not been for me attacking you you wouldn't have these opportunities you wouldn't be so successful like yeah she would have probably not rather have had these opportunities and the successes she's had from a book and a documentary about her being fucking raped and beaten and slashed to death like get bent like fuck off (laughs) The audacity of him, nerve, that he has to try and take this credit. Yeah. So what we know, like the most recent update that I could find, Alison is still a single mother raising her two sons. She still does motivational speaking, but she doesn't go international as much because she wants to be at home with her kids. How old is she now? Uh, she would be, what are we, 2003, 94... 04, 37, 47, 57? So she was, she was 27 and 94. 04, she would have been 37. 14, she would have been 40. Yeah, 57. What's her last name? Botha. B-O-T-H-A. Um, but yeah, she's just enjoying the rest of her life. The second chance that she decided to have, like, everything she went through, she... Oh. Like, looking at her now, she doesn't look like she's, you know... No, so she has said that her scars have faded um, because of that, like, skin scraping and stuff like that. But you can see, um, depending on what photo you look, there's one... If you look at the base of her neck, you can see... Yeah. Kind of a thing. But, no, she, like, you wouldn't have guessed 
you know, if you just saw a photo of her, you'd, there'd be no way that you'd guess what she'd been through, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's, we made it through. That's her story. It's yeah. phenomenal and I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> that's insanity. And Do you know what the, the like, movie documentary? Oh, it's on like Prime video or something like that. I haven't been able to watch it, which is sadness. Yeah, so she's just an absolutely like inspirational woman and not only to women in South Africa, which is huge, but also all over the world. You know, she just took this horrific event that happened to her and turned it into like a positive way to help other people. Yeah. Like, she's just phenomenal. I, I love her. And I hope uh, that the story lived up to the hype that I've been giving her this week. It has. It has. That's just... It's honestly insane. It just... I can't wrap it, my head around it, eh? You just don't survive that. Um, I, yeah, I just think she's absolutely phenomenal. And I sit there and think... Like what would I do? And I'm like, bro, I'd be dead. Like, <laughs> I'd just be like, nah, I'm sorry. I would have carved it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but, as soon as my, I might have made it to the point where she stood up and then her head fell back behind her shoulder blades. That's when I would have You'd be like, whoa, well, I'm, I'm going down. <laughs> like, uh, I'm currently looking behind me, but I'm facing forward. Yeah. I might as well just die. Yeah, like, I just can't even fucking... I can't fathom it. It doesn't make any sense in my head. No. No. That just doesn't even make logical sense. No. But thank you for sticking through. We have got some audio things to play around with, so... Um, that's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully I can get it sorted out. Uh, that is all from me this week. Lovely listeners. Thank you, Grace, for joining me. It's been fun. It's been a good time. Uh, and yeah, it would have been too hard to do this case by myself because it needs to be heard. You know, Alison, she goes and says her stories out loud for people to hear them. And, you know, I'm very grateful to anyone who listens to this podcast, but I just wanted to be for sure that someone would listen (laughs) needed someone to actually hear the story yeah so thank you so much for tuning in grace and you know to anyone who listens to this case i hope you guys enjoy this one but until next time be safe be good be better and all that cheesy crap and i will catch you all next week for another episode of coffee and crime bye